0: Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today at Genesis Community Church. I also want to thank, thank you, the team for putting these videos together for the kids. I know my little Hannah really loves them. She gets really excited when they come on. I know I've heard many stories of other kids who do the same. And when that, you can always recognize that song that comes on, you know. Kids jump to that, at least mine do. So anyway, it's really good. Really uh, thank the Lord for that. But anyway, um, uh, we've been really having a great time going through the book of James uh, we're wrapping it up today, but um, I know actually Hans is going to be doing a, an overview next week, but anyway, it's been a really treasure going through James, especially for myself and I know for Yoshi, my wife as well, and so um, it's been a really, really wonderful thing, a learning thing, a breaking thing, a humbling thing to go through, and I've I heard many stories of like that, <clears throat> of how uh, precious it is. But um, t- today we're looking at chapter 5, go, finishing up chapter 5, but you know, we, we see here... Uh, James is kind of teaching us how to hang on in the midst of trials. Um, I remember growing up back in the 80s, uh, there was a little picture of a cat that's hanging on uh, a limb. You probably have all seen it. It's, it's hang in there. It's on, the caption on the bottom says, hang in there. So I've always thought about that, and, and I was like, yeah, we need, to, we need to hang in there. And I've heard stories of, or people saying, you know if life gets tough, just tie a rope and just hang on, you know, tie, tie a knot at the bottom of the rope and just hang on. <clears throat> it's like, well, it's true, but but what are we hanging on to? You know, so uh, what's great is that James really helps us to understand what we are hanging on to, how we can truly have hope. Last week, Hans preached on how we should be patient in the midst of trials. One of the key things is knowing that Christ is coming. You know, we look to him, our joy is in him and not in this, not, not in this world, but And that's really, truly how we can persevere in the midst of trials. And we're going to be talking on prayer today. So uh, we look at uh, the first chapter, James, we we saw already kind of a parallel of how it applies to what we're going to go through in chapter 5. You know, in in chapter 1, it talked about we are to count it all joy, brothers, when we face trials of many kinds. And then on it says, and if anyone lacks wisdom, let him pray, and God will grant it. So he gives us wisdom. So we see a parallel. We are to hang on in the midst of trial, counted all joy. But we're also to pray. And so, uh, so this is a really wonderful thing. How we're going to expound on that today on the aspect of prayer. But speaking of praying, let's pray before we begin. All right, pray with me, Lord. I just pray that you will move today. I pray that your name will be exalted, Lord. May I decrease and you increase. May your word just come alive, Lord. Open eyes today, Lord God. Help us encourage us and strengthen us as we do face trials of many kinds lord help us to know how we can stay and stand in the midst of it lord god that we we are to look to you we are to persevere we had counted all joy when we face trials but we also to pray help us to grasp this today and help us to do this lord we just give thanks and praise in your holy name amen well um what's interesting too um as hans noted um when, when he first started out in james is you know james is often Called like the the proverbs of the New Testament, but I think it's very appropriate uh, as we're learning a lot of stuff that we are to do, we are to, we're ending it with prayer. I think it's great that prayer is us being able to recognize, Lord, we know what we're supposed to do, but we know we can't do it unless you help us. Lord, give us the strength. So I think it's appropriate. James is in, uh, finishing this with prayer. Of course, he, he's also peppered it throughout his, throughout the book, but we are to pray enable us to do what God has asked us to do. Praise God for that. Anyway, kind of what we're going to be looking at, um, just a quick run through, we're going to look at how we are to pray in all circumstances, ups and downs, as we heard in our little uh, children's study. We're to pray with the community, pray for healing. We're going to be praying, we had to pray in line with, with God's will. Uh, we cannot pray with unconfessed sins. We need, we need to repent and confess our sins. And also we're going to be pray fervently and pray persistently. These are the points we're going to be going through. But uh, let's just start reading James 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And, they, and, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Amen. So we see the first part here. We are to pray in all circumstances. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him pray. It kind of reminds me of what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians five seventeen: We are to pray without ceasing. So all of the Christian life is to be lived with communion with God. In the good times and in the bad times, we are to pray when we are suffering and to praise him when we are rejoicing. So it's like an attitude of just all going out throughout our day we are just live, try to desire to live in communion and fellowship with God. You know, that's what we're supposed to do. And just enjoying His presence throughout the day. We're going to kick it off with prayer. And throughout the day, just when you have time, just remember Him. Lord, just just thank You for all You've done for us. Thank You for for this. Thank You for that. Just as we go through the day, just praise Him. Now, um, we are to have those seasons of rejoicing. We are to, you know, we're, What we're doing, we're acknowledging God, that you are the giver of all things, all good things. It's all a gift from you. Like, Lord, I don't, desi- I don't des- deserve this wonderful wife you've given me. But Lord, I just thank you for her. I praise you for her. Lord, or this job that I have, I, I, thank you for an income. Lord, or the children you've given me, Lord, thank you for them. They're such a blessing to me. I just praise you, God. So we just be thankful to God. But we're also during times... Of uh, seasons of 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 trial we are to remember that we are to look to him through prayer that will carry us through knowing that he is sufficient to help us in times of prayer lord i know i'm going through a jobless season right now but lord this is hard but i look to you during this time or maybe someone has maybe lost a child lord I cry out to you. I plead to you. I look to you during this time of trial, but I know you are my source of strength. I go to you during this time. So we have times of praise, and we have times of prayer and rejoicing. And we are to always be in communion with God. This is what James is trying to remind us. Now going on, um, we are to have community. In verse 14, it says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray for him. So, James is reminding us just importance of life in community. Now, obviously, most of the people can go to the community, go to those around them. I guess it's a difficult time right now. We can't come to the church as easy, easily as we like, but, you know, Lord willing, there may be people around you, but we are to whether it's through a Zoom call or just locking on your neighbor that trusts you, with going with a, with, maybe with a mask on, keeping social distance, I don't know, but, but we need community. And it's important for us to go and, and, and pray with each other, you know. But for this guy, obviously he's sick. and So uh, he's not as mobile as most people in the church. So um, it's important if you're sick and you can't go out, you need to call, have the church to come to you. And the rep- representatives of the church is obviously the elders. So he's calling for the elders, the leaders to come and to pray, to encourage. And so we desperately need community. Life is not to be an individual sport. just It's just me, Jesus, and my Bible. That's all I need. You know, I've heard people say that. No, that's not true. We are to have a life of community and to live with each other in community, checking in on each other regularly, helping one another, encouraging one another, and confessing sin to one another, praying for one another. This is how we grow. And we, we are to be life with each other, to know how to, to, to really... Because um, sometimes, if, I'm, if you're isolated, it's easier to, to live... And thinking you're okay, but oftentimes God uses people around you to to really point out hey brother i saw you I saw that what you I heard what you said or I saw you do this why did you do that so there's definitely a need for community to help us grow more in sanctification so we see that uh, we see that uh, here now i i've I've had some friends you know in the past and, and they've you know church hopped around and they really had never really Deep in a community, and so when times of trials come, they don't really have elders. They don't have leaders that they can call to come to help them out. And so some they might call me, they might call someone else, but but that's not really how God designed it to be. We are to have those in leadership over us to to help us, encourage us, and we need to have that in community. So if you're church hopping right now, I encourage you to find a church have elders over you, <clears throat> have a leadership over you to be accountable, or to, to, you can be accountable too, so you can call someone and allow them to point things out to you that need, may, need to be changed, but for sure, in this situation, if you have no one over you, who are you going to call when you really need it? You know, you're down, and, and we're not supposed to live in isolation. We're supposed to live in community, so it's important for this, we see here. Moving on, um, Look at um, James 5, 15, and it says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. It's an interesting situation here. Does that mean every time the elders come or every every time you get prayed for that uh, if you're sick you will be healed? It's a good question. Actually, we have to be careful of this type of thinking, of this error. We should not think that it's an unconditional promise for physical healing. This is not... The case you know we we also saw in in James four fifteen it says it's like a, it's arrogant to think that that uh, we can just demand something to happen or we can say something's going to happen unless we say if the Lord wills it we still already know we're we're also pleading Lord if it's your will I will go to this city I will go to that city we saw that in verse 4 chapter four fifteen so we know that's not the case with the prayer we're not naming it and claiming it and uh, demanding God to do this or that and secondly, we know that uh, what, in the Lord's Prayer, it says, Let your kingdom come, your will be done. That's a confession, a humble confession, Lord. It's, it's on you. It's, we, we look to you. But true faith trusts God no matter what he does. That's what's going on here. And it doesn't arrogantly demand God do something for you. So this is not the case. So God always acts according to his will. And it is playing from scripture that it is not always his, his plan to grant healing every time we pray. Um, we look at the life of Paul even. If you look at Second uh, Timothy 4.20, it says Paul had to leave Trophimus sick in Miletus. Paul left a guy sick. He couldn't carry on with them. So what does that have to say? Does that mean Paul was less spiritual? Because he had to leave a brother sick. Obviously, he probably prayed for them, prayed for him to be healed. Is Paul less of a Christian? I don't think so. So uh, we must remember that in all things, God is sovereign no matter what. You even look at, um, even look at Stephen and Peter. Both of these guys were in jail, prison. You know, Obviously, the, the Christians were praying for them. You know? One was released by an angel, escorted him out of jail, but the other one was stoned to death. So God obviously has a plan for all things, and we can't get upset when he doesn't answer our prayer. Um, The truth is, we are to pray and just trust him that he's good. So we're to pray also. It says the prayer offered in faith. It literally means just the prayer of faith. It comes from faith in Almighty God who is sovereign, who carries out his will, working all things to his glory. He can heal anyone he wants to at any time. But it's his sovereign plan. And we have to humble ourselves to that. So... It's a bless. I wrote this down this note in my notes. Is the, the blessing of being a child of God is that He answers our prayers better than we can pray them. He knows what we need. I like it, what it says in Isaiah 50, 55 8 and 9. It says, His ways are higher than our ways, His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So we know, we must know that we can put our trust in Him, that He knows best. He always knows best, and we are to yield to that. And so um, he doesn't He does always answer our prayer, but we can trust that when he does answer or when he does not answer, the reason is good. I remember one time, my nephew, uh, I think he was uh, four years old at the time, he wanted to play with my knife. I just got a a nice knife. Maybe I was bragging or showing it off, (coughs) being stupid probably, but... uh, Sorry, I didn't mean to use the S word, but but obviously he wanted to play with it. And so... um, and I said, "No, you cannot play play with it. it." You know, he he just got up so upset with me. I, I was six years older than him, but um, a little more smarter than him at that time. But, but I knew that he would get hurt if I let him play with this knife. But he was just crying and crying and crying and crying. And it was it, praise God, it, it yield. But but that's how it is. God knows what we need. Oftentimes we pray for that, but sometimes He doesn't answer our prayer. But we have to yield, trust in Him, knowing that He is smarter than us. And his ways are better than our ways. Amen. So, um, so we also are to pray according to God's will. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 to 15. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have towards him. That if we, ask, if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. And if we know that he hears us, And whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So it's true, truly here in Scripture, we have to ask according to his will. Um, It does not mean that before Christians can pray effectively, they need to know somehow his mysterious will or nothing. No, his secret plan, that's not the case. It means basically that, that, uh, that we should ask according to what the Bible teaches about God's will for His people. Oftentimes it's called uh, His revealed will, what we know through Scripture, exactly what He, he, he we know His will in Scripture. That's what He's talking about. If Christians are praying in accordance with what pleases God, <clears throat> we know it's His will. If it's found in Scripture, we know it's His will. So we are to pray accordingly. Um, <clears throat> like I said, your kingdom come, your will be done. Um, I, I have a printout that always helps me when I pray um, John Piper, in Desiring God, has a printout that he has, you can, you can see online. It's, um, what did the early church pray for? Um, it has a list of pretty much every prayer request that's listed in the, in the, in the New Testament. And oftentimes, if I'm pr- praying, if I get stagnant in prayer, I will often go to that just to refresh my memory. Okay, what were the, old, the early church members praying for? You know, or the advancement of the kingdom. You know, uh, they are praying for unity in the body of Christ, unity in the leadership. They're praying for wisdom, as we've heard, read already. But you see the list of all the prayer requests. That, I always go to that to help, help me to remember what to be praying for. And I'm always encouraged, knowing I'm praying according to God's will and God's plan. So I would encourage you to do that. So, <clears throat> also in verse 15, it says, And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, what about this relationship between forgiveness of sin and healing? Uh, is all physical sickness connected with personal sin? Not always. You can see the word if in the phrase. It says, if he has committed sin, it, kind of, it implies that not all sickness is connected specifically to sin. So, but there is a link between forgiveness and healing. And the reason uh, for that is the fact that so often is on the sickbed that people have a self check. We want to make things right. Whenever we're sick, we're, we think we're going to be, going to be dying. We, we want to make things right. We all These things come to our remembrance, people we might have hurt in the past. So we want to make it right. Um, uh, we realize that we have sin and we desire to make it right. So that's often what happens. Um, and what, do you, what happens is God uses sickness to humble us, to break us, to make us focus our eyes off of ourselves and on Him. And so this is by God's grace, God allows sickness to take place so we can do that, to reorient our life, to be focused on him. All right, so moving on, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Um, regarding confession, the primary and continual confession of a, every Christian must be to God the, uh, through Christ Jesus. You know, we, first of all, we know that Christ is the mediator between God and man. We see that in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. But no human being can, can forgive another person's sin, and, and so he could be saved. That—that's not. We have no authority to do that. It's Christ alone; only God can do that. It's in His hands alone. So, so the basis here is not to really justify confessing to a priest. That is not some elite priesthood. This is useless for us. So, <coughs> confessing sin to get ourselves right with God is only in, in God's hands through Christ. So what we see here, he's encouraging transparency with the other believers so that we can share each other's shortcomings and sins. We are to confess sin and to get encouragement, to get help. You know, that's, that's what's going on here. Um, so that we know how to pray for one another specifically, to know the prayer points. That's mainly the key here is to confess and so we know, brothers. I, I'm struggling in this area. Please pray for me. Help me to grow. Help me to be focused on the Lord. You know. So that's kind of the key here. And so, um, but f- f- for sure, we need to confess our sin to people that we can trust. You know, we don't want to confess to a uh, gossip, a well-known gossip. You know, we don't want to do that. You know, um, maybe they need to confess about gossiping. But, but anyway, we need to confess sin. So um, confession here also means making restitution for any wrongdoings. Um, You look at Matthew 5, 23, 24. It says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come back and make your gift at the altar. So you're praying, you know, it's like the Holy Spirit gives you a check. Hey, you're... Uh, you remember that your, your brother has something against you. You have to go make it right. Bring that, make that restitution, okay? And also, on the other aspect of it, look at Mark eleven twenty five. 25. It says, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you. So we see both of these aspects here. The first one is, you remember, hey, someone uh, has done something wrong, you have to go forgive them. Another one, someone's done wrong, wrong to you, you have to go and forgive them. So we have to make restitution. And so, uh, praise God, oftentimes on our sickbed, these things, these things come to our mind. So we have to do that. Looking on further, it says James five sixteen. It says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Um, notice that James didn't say the prayer of the spiritual elite power. Elite has great power. No, it did not say that. Rather, he's saying the prayer of a righteous person. So, well, that makes me feel better. Matt, I know I'm not righteous. What, you know, what you, what's it saying here? What's it saying here is imputed righteousness. What we receive from Christ is righteousness from God. If you look at 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him... We might become the righteousness of God. So that's important here to us to understand. We are righteous only because of what Christ has done for us. It's an imputed righteousness. Praise God. On the cross, my sin went to Christ. And it was judged. The the, the fiery wrath of God from my sin was poured out on Christ. And his righteousness now comes to me. Praise God. That's that great exchange, as R.C. Sproul would say. That's a wonderful exchange. I rejoice in that exchange. But that's what I'm talking about here. That's what he's talking about here. We are righteous only through Christ. We have to be clear with that. Now, the righteous person also em- emphasizes a practical righteousness. Those with a righteous life are powerful in prayer. That's not a perfect life. But, it, but uh, look, look at it here. I'll, I'll explain it in a bit. But it says, um, we can see it in Isaiah's words. Isaiah 59, verses 1 to 2. It says, Behold, The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that he cannot hear, meaning when we pray. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So, obviously, when we're walking in habitual, continuous sin, God will not listen to us. Uh, look at Isaiah. What is a proper response? Just a few chapters later later in Isaiah. In Isaiah 66, verse 2, it says, But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite, which is being repentant, and trembles at my word. This is not talking about a perfect, righteous life lived out, but it's those that when you do sin, you are broken with your sin. You are humbled. You are dependent. You know you're needy. You need God to help you. You're you're repentant. You're contrite, and you tremble at His word. It means you, you want to follow Him, Lord. I'm sorry. Help me walk according to Your way, Your will, and Your way. That's the, what it's, that's what it's looking like right here. Not a perfect, righteous life. Your whole life We're living without never sinning in your whole life. That's impossible. It's not talking about perfection. It's just talking about a life that's humble and broken. That when you do sin, you repent. Not, it's not a life of continual unrepentant sin. So praise God for that. So, so such confessions and praying were at the heart of the Great Awakening. The, those great revivals we we've, we've heard about. It's just a bunch of guys gathering in these barns and praying. They're broken over the sin and praying for their, for themselves, praying for the church, praying for their country. That's what that's what's so uh, important here. We need to recognize that power. Of prayer. Um, John of Antioch in the fourth, fourth century, regarding the power of prayer, he said this The power of prayer has subdued the strength of fire, it has bridled the rage of lions, shed anarchy to rest, extinguished war, appeased the elements, expelled demons, burst the chains of death, healed diseases rescued cities from destruction stayed the sun in its course there is in prayer the treasure of undiminished mind a mind of which can never be exhausted a sky unobscured with by clouds it is the fountain of a thousand blessings so we have to go back to the understanding of recognizing there's power in prayer All the times we forget about that in the mundane of life. We just forget about prayer. We just pray a little quick prayer before we we eat or just a quick prayer in our devotion time. But we need to recognize the power of prayer. Um, What's what's really neat is that um, James brings us back to this old old prophet of Elijah. He lets us see the life that he lived of, of, of prayer. But it's very interesting here... What John of Antioch, what he was saying in the fourth century, was he saying, were these spiritual, when these spiritual elite pray, or when people like Elijah pray, will these miraculous things happen?" You know, when Elijah prayed, you know, you know, the prophets of Baal were were. Uh, were slain. You know, he, he slayed the prophets of Baal. What happened at, at, at that sacrifice? You saw what happened when he prayed to God. The the whole thing was consumed. The sacrifice was consumed. We saw him raise the dead. We saw him multiply the widow's meal and oil. Uh, we saw him how actually the ravens came to feed him. You know, uh, he was he was fed by angels. They strengthened him, you know, uh, he, he, foretelling both famine and the coming of rain. You know, we, he was outrunning uh, Ahab's chariot. I wonder how that happened, actually. He was very, was, I'm sure he was running fast, outrunning a chariot. That would have been cool to see. But uh, we see him going up in a chariot of fire. We, when we think of Elijah, we see a superhero, you know, these elite prophets, these elite people in the Bible, you know, for sure, uh, Elijah was considered one of the one of the main prophets that the people of Israel looked up to. Even in the New Testament, they that they looked up to him. You know, um, he was definitely a, a national hero, a man of action and a man of prayer. So naturally, when you know James is going to bring up an illustration in the Old Testament, you know Elijah would be one of those guys. But it's very interesting um, what he what he talks about him. Notice what James did not say. It says when you are finally as spiritual as Elijah, then God will answer your prayers. Did he say that? No. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. That's very encouraging. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain. So, it's amazing. He, was a, like, he had a nature just like ours. You know, this pretty much topples Elijah's eliteness, and that was very important for them to hear, and also very important for us to hear. It's put it puts Elijah even on the same playing field as us. Think about it. Um, In spite of seeing God work miraculous things, what did we? What? How was he like a a person just like us? His nature is like us. First of all, we saw him fearful. He was scared like a little girl when he. Even after he sacrificed, uh, uh, even after he slain all those prophets. Who he got off the mountain, he was scared to death knowing that they were coming after him. So he ran. He ran in fear. He was very fearful. We, at times, he was very impatient. He had unbelief. He was depressed often at times. Kind of sounds like us. Sounds like me at times. Um, th- this is very encouraging. A sinner, he was definitely a sinner who needed God's help. Exactly what we do as well. We all need help. God's help. Um, he had this a civil nature. He was desperate need of a savior. For sure there is no spiritual elites in God's kingdom. He alone Christ alone is the exalted one. The one we are to look to. We are not to look to these old prophets. All of them look to God for their strength and help. Um, that, that's what James is wanting his hearers to see, that they are to be dependent on God for everything, everything. just as much as Elijah was dependent upon God. Um, we can all pray with the same fervency as Elijah prayed because he was just looking to God, you know. Um, that, that's, that's so crucial. Um, it's not the man that is great, it's God, the one we look to. He is infinitely great, and that's what we have to do. And also, we see here, with, with praying, it says, and he prayed fervently, meaning that he prayed with a passion. He, he was praying with all of his heart. Uh, it's, it says, in prayer he prayed. Basically, that's what, what this means, praying fervently. It's like an old Hebrew idiom, in prayer he prayed. It means he, he prayed until he really prayed. It's intense. It's, it, it kind of brings up intensity or passion. That's where we're going at here. It wasn't just a laid back, oh God, I, I just think it'd be great if you could just uh, just answer my prayer right now. Or just... No, it was intense. He was on his knees crying for the Lord. Intense praying. Kind of reminds me of, uh, of Hannah when she prayed in 1 Samuel 1:15. Eli, Eli was saying, oh, this woman's drunk. What's wrong with you? you know, and she, and she, said, but, but, she said, no, my Lord, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. She wanted a child. She was pouring out her soul. That wasn't just a laid back. She was on her knees, desperate, crying for the Lord to to answer her prayer. It was a fervent, passionate prayer. We see in Colossians, Colossians chapter 4, 12, Paul points out Epaphras. He says, he's always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. That's passionate praying, struggling on our behalf for the maturity of those believers. So we have to be fervent in our prayer. Um, What's amazing that the reason why they're so fervent um, is because they recognize how weak and how needy they really were. They had difficult situations going around them. They really cried out to the Lord because they really needed the Lord. They were in a needy situation. Oftentimes we don't pray because we're not in a needy situation. Oftentimes God has to humble us and break us to make us repent and cry out to him to, for help and for strength. You know, um, Truly we have to come to the understanding is that apart from Christ, we can do nothing, as it says in, John's, in John 15, 5. And that's where we should be, humbly broken broken. And also we see through the life of Elijah an example of persistent praying. It says he prayed seven times for rain to come. He he even knew it was the Lord's will that it was going to come, but he prayed seven times. Oftentimes in America, we like things to happen fast. We like fast food, high-speed internet, same-day shipping, and if we don't get it, get it this next day, we want our money back. I know, I've been there. I've done that. Um, that's where we are at times. We want it now. And so it's hard for us to be persistent in prayer. Um, I remember um, when we, we were praying for Yoshiko's brother, and we prayed for like five years. me um, you can correct me later, but I think five or six years praying for him. Just, and sure enough, finally, the Lord just touched him. And... Um, and it's a miracle. It's a wonderful to see what, how, what he's, how he's living for the Lord now. But, um, but we just realized we can't give up. We've got to keep pleading for the Lord. And so the Lord moved and the Lord touched him. So we are to not give up. That's what James is saying here. Now, what's also very clear, there's one common denominator, one underlining factor of all these guys in the Bible when they prayed, you know, Elijah, even James, you know, all these prophets, even the disciples, is one thing they all had in common. And this is so helpful for us to understand. One, one, they knew they were dependent on God to act and to move. And secondly, they knew God. They knew God. They, as he revealed himself to them, they knew God. I love, um, they knew that he would answer his, fulfill his promises. Do we have such deep conviction in God? Do we really know God that he's able? I'm, I'm sure you may, many of you have heard me say this. You know, it's like I'm beating the drum same drum over and over, but you know, I like drums, so I don't mind beating drums, so I don't mind ex- expounding on this again. But we have to know God to know who He is. I like it, says in uh, Psalms 9:10, those who know your name will trust you. Those who know their God, knowing the names of God mean know- knowing who He is, knowing His attributes. And as we know Him, dig into the Word, go deeper, we will know Him. This is Amazing how this is illustrated in the life of Abraham. If you look at Romans chapter four, verses eighteen and twenty, it says, um, "In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which is as good as dead." Which is where we need to be. He recognized that he was in dire strait. He was. He recognized he was as good as dead. There is no way he can fulfill God's plan in his own flesh, in his own capacity. Sometimes that's where God has to bring us, to be so dependent on God that we break down and we pray. But this is where it is. He, he recognized his, his situation. He knew he was as good as dead. And it goes on. It says, but no unbelief made him waver considering the promise of God. But he grew strong in the faith, and as he gave glory to God. Now, he see, he's praying. He's praising God. He's lifting his hands in prayer. He's praising God, giving him glory. And a life filled with exalting God. Now, it says, the, the effect came here in verse 21. And it says, he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So he had f- complete, full confidence in God. Capable of fulfilling all of his promises. Do we see an elite status here in Abraham? No, he was as good as dead. So there's nothing good in him. Just as James pointed out with Elijah, the only elite one is God. We are to only go to him. I wish, sometimes we think, I just wish God revealed himself to us more like he did in the Old Testament. The truth is, God has revealed himself in so many amazing ways. Through Christ, first of all, but also through his word. We have a sure foundation, a sure rock we can go to. His solid word we, can, we are to live on. How he's revealed himself. It's complete revelation. And we are to always dig in it, live in it, and how, see how he's revealed himself through that. Um, we, it says we have everything we need for life and godliness. So you have to make it your life's ambition to know God, to dig deep in his word. And as we do that, we will grow in the knowledge of him, and our faith will grow as well. We will stand strong only because we are standing on him. Um, And we will learn as we see how powerful he is, we know that he is able to answer our prayers. We will know that he is good, perfect, and righteousness. And everything he says is right. Everything he thinks is right. Every, Every way he acts is right. And so if he acts on my behalf through prayer, as I said already, we know it's right. And if he doesn't act in in the way I pray, we will know that it is right. And we will be thankful. We will be able to trust God and and just submit ourselves and just desire to live for the glory of God and be thankful because we know he is for us and he's helping us. and He's guiding and leading us. And it only happens as we are broken and dependent upon him. And we know that he will answer my prayer if it's his will and desire. if he does not, it's okay, Lord, because God, 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 you are awesome and mighty and powerful, and I can trust in you. And so this is just where I wanted basically to end, is that James is really just wanting us to really know how we can truly hang in there and strive and, and, and just to stand. I love this, this, this last chapter of, of James, as we are to be uh, persistent and we are to count it all joy, but we are to be persistent in prayer, looking to Christ, knowing he's coming, but knowing we have an advocate for, for us. He he's, will help us, encourage and strengthen us. He will answer our prayer according to his will. He will help us navigate this, this tough time we are living in. And he will help us live for his glory. And he will help us advance his kingdom. It's his kingdom he wants us to advance. So it's like Naturally, he's going to answer those prayers that, that Lord, let your kingdom come. You will be done in this situation, Lord. You do your perfect will right now. So in a sense, we can thank God for difficult times because we know God is in control and God is moving. So I just want you to be encouraged. I want you to be able to rejoice. Um, I'm going to end with this last quote, this last quote by E.M. Bounds. It says, What the church needs today is not more machinery or better machinery, not new organizations or more and novel methods, But men whom the Holy Spirit can use, men of prayer, men of mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint man's plans. He only moves when men pray.